0: in that Bible. Uh, If you don't own a Bible or don't understand what the Bible is all about, we'd love for you to take that Bible home with you. There are about 10 pages in glossy color print that summarize kind of what the whole thing's about. We'd love for you to take that home, read it, and I would love to discuss more with you what that's about once you've read that. Um, This is a tough one today. As we continue, so Adaldo got the easy passage last week out of 22. Right? Uh, chapter 22 starts really great. Chapter 22 starts with this great part. So, so, all right, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Somewhere along the journey, two and a half of those tribes, which I don't have time to go into why half the tribe of Manasseh, there's some history there. We could have a whole other conversation about another day if you wanted. But just, so half the tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, and, and then the tribe of Reuben and Gad, Decided that they wanted to be on the east side of the river. Now they they come to Moses about it, and they basically come to a conclusion that it's going to be okay. They'll work it out. But just like in Jacksonville, the west side is the best side. And I I think I think it was a compromise. I, I don't I don't think it was a wise decision for them to stay on the east side of the river, but they did make a good arrangement and say, look, you've got to send, you've got to send your fighting men with us and, and go over to the west side of the river, cross the river, help us get the land that God has given us, and then once we've gotten to a point, you'll be released to go back and settle in your land on the east side. So last week, Adaldo, uh, Pastor Adaldo of Iglesia Glacier Agency did a great job of taking us through that text and talking about... Um, that, that goodbye and how they sent them off. And, and they came to that point after about seven years. Seven years these men were deployed from their families. Any of you have ever served in the military? Imagine, I imagine a seven-year deployment would be very difficult to adjust back home to. Seven years they had left their families there on the eastern side of the river, and they have gone and fought, and they've battled. And they've helped the people on the west side, the best side, get the land that they need and get where they were supposed to be. And now they've been released to go back home. So that was a great passage, a fun passage, lots to celebrate. Now we get into the messiness of Better Together. Our theme for this year as a church is Better Together. And I, I'm pretty convinced it's going to still be the theme next year. I, I really sense God leading that we, we've got to strive for unity as a church. Um, And and so that's why we're focusing on that idea of unity, working together on the mission that God has given us. But here's the deal. Better together sounds great, and it sounds like this beautiful, harmonious, utopian, wonderful thing. But but in reality, because each and every one of us are broken when we're together, at some point, it's just going to get weird. One of my least favorite text messages or beginnings of a conversation is, hey, we need to talk. (laughs) I don't know, man, like not a lot gives me anxiety. Uh, I mean, even as a young child, I, I, I experienced some pretty great tragedies in my life and for some reason was always able to hold my composure in the midst of high stress situations without getting any anxiety. I'm talking just intense situations even as a child that I was able to handle with great composure. But Almost nothing brings me anxiety like, "Hey, we need to talk." Because what's on the other side of that? I mean, is it that you hate me? Is it that, is it that I've done something horrible? Are you calling out sin in my life? Are you about to confess a horrendous sin in your life? Are you going to out of who knows? My my mind may go a hundred million ways. So I always tell people, look, and I'll take this opportunity to use the pulpit to tell you, if as your pastor you want to communicate, you need to talk to me. I'd love to talk with you. Just give me like a general heads up what it's about, right? Like, give me like a general, like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something that's going on in my life. Even that vague, and it kind of can bring me comfort, right? Because none of us, none of us like conflict. I mean, none of us enjoy, I mean, if you enjoy conflict, that's a whole nother sin issue we need to talk about. But when, when conflict comes, I mean, it's really hard to walk in the spirit in conflict, right? Whenever you get called out on something, when somebody decides to, to, to bring up to you something you've done wrong, I don't know about you, I have a tendency to pretty immediately figure out why I was right and why, and about seven reasons why you're actually wrong. Like, it's the first thing that comes to my. I mean, I never am as, I'm never as critical about anybody as the moment they've criticized me, right? As soon as you criticize me, I can pretty quickly come up with a lot of things you've done wrong too. And so when this really gets difficult and where it's necessary as a church body is in confronting sin, right? Better together is, is about unity, but there's a balance that must be attained between holiness and unity. We desire unity as a church. We, we desire that we can be a unified church with lots of different kinds of people could be a part of this church. We have people going through our membership class right now. We'll go through the covenant next week. And last week we went through our what we call our essential beliefs. And we intentionally have a short list of what we call essential beliefs as a church. Why? Because we desire unity. And, and we have what we call closed-fist items that we're just not, not going to really move on these things. On other things, there's freedom for us to disagree, right? And so we'll list things like who is God, the triune God of the universe that created all things, that all things are due to his glory. They were created by him, for him, through him, and that all things owe their lives purpose. To His glory, right? We we can't move on that one. That that's that's one we can't move on. And and then the sufficiency of God's word, the, the 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 inerrancy, the sufficiency, the inspiration, the authority of God's word. We can't we can't move on that. And then you combine those things. What does God's word tell us about who God is and who we are? It tells us that we are wretched sinners in desperate need. Of someone to mediate, but not anybody, nobody can. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ, is what Paul tells Timothy. We can't move on that, that the only way we get a relationship between us and God because we are such wretched sinners is being washed by his blood, that Jesus is salvific work on the cross when he died on the cross to pay for our sins rose from the dead defeated death that that is what gives us an opportunity to have a relationship with god those are things we can't move on those are our close fist tight fist items now we desire pretty much outside of that for the most part for you to disagree with us we can disagree on a lot of things, and, uh, because here's why we're okay with that. If we all agree that God's word is the ultimate authority, then your opinion doesn't matter and my opinion doesn't matter. We're welcome to share those opinions, but ultimately, we've got to take those opinions to the word of God and let that filter where we end up. So why do we do that? Well, because we desire unity, and we don't want to be a church that gets divided on secondary issues or tertiary issues or even farther off than that. But here's the problem where we end up a lot of times. If we don't have those closed fist items, then we'll get unity at the sacrifice of holiness. We can't sacrifice holiness to get unity. This is what's at stake in our passage today. Stand with me as we read God's word. This is a lengthy one. And so if standing is difficult for you physically, feel free to sit. Starting in verse 10, going all the way to verse 34. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. And then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. And with him ten chiefs one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in the rebellion against the Lord. Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now... If the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land wherever the Lord's, where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon the, all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. And then the people of Reuben the people of gad and the half tribe of manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel the mighty one god the lord the mighty one god the lord he knows and he and, and let israel itself know it was in rebel it was if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the lord do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the lord or if or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it. May the Lord himself take vengeance. No, we, we, did, we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought if this should be said to us, to our descendants in in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord, our God, that stands before his tabernacle. When Phinehas, the priest and the chiefs, of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him heard the words to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, and the people of Manasseh spoke. It was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Israel, the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God Almighty, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that I pray that you would use this broken vessel. Lord, I am definitely not an expert on handling conflict well. But Lord, you. You are the one on display here. Your word is here to guide us, and we submit ourselves to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Excuse my sore throat. I've been battling a cold all week. I'm much better now, but there's still just a lingering cough, so I apologize for that. Um, all right, so let's look at this. There's, there's, I really had a ton of questions in looking at this, and I, I, I can promise you I won't get through everything I want to say today. There's so much here to look at. Um, so initially, look at the fact, why, one of the questions I have, why, why would they even choose to go to the east side? If they wouldn't have chosen to stay on the east side of the river, if they just would have settled in the land that God gave them, if they would have settled for the provision that God had given them in the first place, this whole thing could have been avoided. And, and there's in that, what we see in this text is a, a battle between the fear of God and the fear of man. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says that when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, so they're on their way back, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there. So it's not real clear whether the altar is on the east side or the west side. Uh, And There are a lot of different theories on that. Uh, But really close to the river, really close to the river, they build this copy of the same altar that's in the tabernacle. Now, why is this such a big deal? God was very clear in his instructions, very clear how to build the tabernacle, what the tabernacles look like. There's an altar to be in the tabernacle. There's only to be one altar. In that one altar, it's the only place that these sacrifices can be made in worship of God. There's one place, one acceptable way, one acceptable place that this can happen in this altar. And so they decide to build this altar by the Jordan, and they intentionally build it. The phrasing in Hebrew there for imposing size kind of means like... So, so big, you can't miss it. Like, you're going to notice it in the distance. Like, this is not something that you could pass by and just wonder what was there. This is not a small stack of stones. This is a copy of the altar in the tabernacle. And the people of Israel heard of it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben, (coughs) the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Wow. At first you feel like, what an overreaction here, right? Like, you're you're just going to that quickly like make war against your own people? I mean, these, these men have battled alongside you For seven years, wandered. I mean, they come from a people who have wandered in the wilderness. I mean, there's there's no greater connection and heritage maybe than these groups of people. And this quick, this fast, you're going to declare war on them. I don't know that that's. I don't know that war would be the wrong decision here if their assumptions were correct. I don't think the mistake here is the reaction. I think the mistake here is the assumption. And here, let me, let me explain my, what I mean. And the fear of God. Uh, fear of God, honestly, is a hard thing to explain and, and to get clear. Uh, the best analogy I've heard, uh, I'm steal from another preacher, and, and he, he tells a story about taking his six-year-old son just to a friend's house. And, and this friend had this huge, huge Doberman that was as tall as his six-year-old son. And, and, and there in the house, the, the six-year-old son was friendly with the Doberman. The Doberman was very friendly and safe, and, and, and he would play with him, and the, the dog would lick his face, and, and they would play wrestle and, and hug. And At one point, they were at the house, and, and the son had forgotten something in the car, and so he said, Dad, I'm going to run and get something out of the car. And, and the owner, real serious, looks at the young man and says, Don't run away from the dog. He's a very safe dog until you run away from him. He does not like people running away from him, and he can be very dangerous. So the kid very slowly walked to the car, a little more scared than he needed to be maybe, and just walks, and the dog walked like right beside him. But the owner explained, if he were to take off running, that dog would attack him. See, the point the preacher used in this analogy when he told this story was, when, when the Bible tells us to fear God, which it does tell us to do that, it's not to fear being with him, it's to fear running away from him. Right, this Doberman was safe for this young boy to hug, to play with, to, to, to even play wrestle with. It, it, it was always safe unless he tried to run away from him. See, we have to understand we live in God's kingdom. We, we want God to be this fluffy Mr. Rogers type. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He is holy in a way that we cannot fathom or explain. The very fact that we're allowed to be in his presence is, is literally a miracle. And, and he's incredibly safe to crawl up in his lap. As a matter of fact, it's one of my favorite passages in Hebrews I quote here all the time. He talks about because of his sacrifice, we can with confidence draw near to his throne, confident in his grace and mercy. And we, we can get so close to him. And the closer we get to him, really the safer we are. What's not safe is running away. It. Listen, I've said this in here before, and you have to understand this. The gospel is good news. The the presence of God, get this, the presence of God is only good news if you are his child. The presence of God is not good news for you if you are not his child. You are either an object of his mercy and grace and a Affection in just untold amounts. I mean, just the riches of his grace and mercy cannot be described, cannot be understood, or you are a child of disobedience and a subject of his wrath. When we say that we are saved, who is God saving us from? From his own wrath. What does it mean to fear God? man, these people get it. Because in their mind, there's no reason for these tribes to build an altar other than idolatry. In their mind, they make a quick assumption. The assumption, I think, is where they make the mistake, but not the reaction. See, real quick, they realize they remember what happened when Achan went against God. They remember this story of Peor that they bring up later on. They remember these things that went down. They remember what it is to have God's wrath fall on them because of someone's sin. And so they think we must first defend holiness. And listen, we say better together because we truly desire unity in the body. But that unity is on the, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ alone. Unity as a church will not be built on for unity's sake. We will not be unified just because we say, let's be unified. We must be unified on the saving work of Jesus Christ and the mission that he has given us as his body. We are the body of Christ to do the mission of Christ. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. In a sense, we are always driven by fear. In a sense, we are either driven by the fear of God or by the fear of man. In the fear of God, we will pursue God, pursue closeness and intimacy with God at no matter the cost. Uh, Regardless of what may happen to us, regardless of what may happen in our lives, we will pursue God because we realize one day we'll stand before him and be held accountable. And so we fear God and we pursue him over everything else. Or we decide that we fear what people think. And we want to be approved of. And so we end up succumbing to that. But the fear of man lays a snare. Trusting in the Lord and fearing the Lord are the same thing. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. People love to say that the God of the Old Testament is this angry God full of wrath. And the New Testament God is this God that's just loving and and kind. This is where we get the Mr. Rogers Jesus idea. Mr. Rogers Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He just said, I'm scarier than those people. He just said, you should fear me more than you fear people who can kill you. You should fear my father more than you fear the people who oppose us. Part of that is simple math, right? Let's say you get a hundred years. Let's say you're blessed with health and you get a hundred years here on earth. Compare that to eternity. Which side of that do you want to be right? Do you want to live in the fear of man and serve people for maybe a hundred years here? or continue to pursue a deeper and more intimate relationship with God. (coughs) So then let's get into how they handle the conflict. Let's see if if I can get through all this. So there's some principles. This is not a perfect example. This is not, honestly, a map of how to handle resolution. This doesn't all go perfectly, but there are some principles we can get here, and we'll pull some other verses as well. So when I say conflict resolution... In the context of this passage, uh, this is primarily in confronting sin uh, in, in, within the body of Christ, within the, within the church, within the people of God confronting sin, which is something that should be done. But there are some principles here that can work with even conflict you have in your marriage, in your friendships, your relationships, things like that. So first, we must be willing to confront. We must be willing to actually confront. Right, so they they hear this, they make some assumptions, they assume what's happening. Praise God, they don't just stop there and start a war. Look at what they do. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. And with him, ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel. So there's nine and a half tribes on the west side. For each of those nine tribes and the half-tribe, they pick a chief and they send Phinehas and they send them. These are the top dogs. They send them over to talk to them. And when the ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them, the head of the family among the clans of Israel, and they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in the rebellion against the Lord? Now, this is probably not the best opening question. I'm going I'm to say they didn't start this off right. They stuck to their assumption. And they didn't say, Please explain to us this altar. They said, what is this treachery you've done against God? Now, why would that be a problem? Here's what I would not recommend. If you see sin in in a brother or sister in our church, don't go to them and say, what is this treachery you've done against God? Maybe ask some questions, some follow-up. Get, get a little, try, to, like, try to learn a little bit about where they're coming from. And then when you get a better understanding of what's going on in their mind, then confront the sin, right? Jesus even gives us instructions in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. He says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, they didn't really do the you and him alone thing, right? They, 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 before they sent this council, they gathered to make war. That's what the Bible says. The whole congregation came to Shiloh and were like, all right, put your armor back on. We thought we were done. Back to war. Who are we fighting? Well, our brothers on the east side. Then they say, then I don't know who spoke up, who came up with this, if it was policy, how this happened. But finally, they at least said, send these guys, let them go talk to them first. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then you take one or two brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It seems the Israelites kind of went backwards on this, right? They, they, they started with the whole church, then they went with the smaller crowd, and then Phineas has this kind of one conversation with them. They went backwards. They, they, they kind of did it in the opposite order. Here, here what we need to know, if we're going to confront sin, if there's sin here in the church, and, and there is, I can promise you that, and, and you see it, right, then go one-on-one. In a loving, kind way, And and look, it may have to start, look, we need to talk. As much as I hate that being the beginning of a conversation, sometimes that's the transition. Sometimes that's what you have to say. Sometimes you just have to address it. And it's not comfortable. I've been on both ends of that conversation, and it's not comfortable on either side. But we have to be willing to confront. We must be willing to do it. We also must be willing to learn, learn from our mistakes. So before they even give them an opportunity to answer, they, they remind them, Have you not had enough of the sin of Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away from this, this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Now this is interesting coming from the mouth of Phineas. Phineas, or however you want to say his name. Because here's the problem. Here's why this would be scary. So there's some background with this guy, Phineas. So earlier on, there was a situation back in the book of Numbers where some people started, the Bible says, whoring themselves with these false gods. So some of these false gods would have these kind of sexual ways of worship that were really inappropriate and apparently some of the people of God were whoring themselves amongst this, I mean, worshiping false gods. It was, it was a bad deal. Well, Phineas is the son of the high priest. I don't have time to go into the whole story. Just know it ends with Phineas throwing a spear and getting more than one of them with the spear. I mean, he, Phineas doesn't, I mean, he, this is not the kind of, if Phineas took one of our spiritual gift surveys that people do these days, mercy wouldn't end up on his list. This is, is, Phineas would be a hard guy to have you, be confronting you in sin. I would be nervous if he was the guy saying, hey, we need to talk. Because the last time this guy called people out on sin, he speared them. (laughs) And this is the story, the story of Peor. This is what he's talking about. He's intentionally reminding them of that story. And he goes, did you not learn your lesson then? Part of me wonders if he had a spear in his hand when he's, when he's saying it, like, hey, like my dad used to hold his belt when he'd talk to me, and just, just holding the belt made me, like, straighten up a little bit more because of what might happen. We need to be willing to learn from our mistakes and from the mistakes of others. Listen, when you see sin in somebody else's life, don't be the guy that has to touch the hot stove. Right? Like, watch somebody else touch the hot stove and think, Man, I, I should probably not do that. As, as a pastor, I, I, look, I've, I've told many people this, I, I constantly am hearing of, of stories of pastors uh, failing and losing their ministries or their families because of moral failures. And I have a practice for myself that every time one of those stories comes out, I intentionally read all the details I can because I want to learn and I want to see. And, and sadly, I have personally known around 15 men that we're in ministry that are not anymore. And every time it happens to somebody that I know, I, I call them, I ask if I can buy them lunch or a cup of coffee, and, I, and I'm up front with them. Hey, I want to talk to you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you my agenda. I have two things I want to do. One, I want to encourage you and tell you that I love you, and that my feelings for you have not changed, and, and God's feelings for you have not changed, and God's not done with you, and I, I just want to be a brother that comes alongside you and doesn't beat you up right now. But at the same time, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to tell me how you got there. I don't want to hear the nitty-gritty details of what happened, but I want you to tell me, like, what were the bad decisions you made that made this opportunity a possibility? Because I want to learn, and I, want to, I don't want to make the same mistakes you made. I, look, I don't believe that I'm immune to it. I don't stand here as somebody's going to tell you, I will never, ever mess up. I, I, it, it, I, I'm scared to death of, of messing up, and I don't want to. And so I'm always trying to learn from other people. Be willing to learn. Be, remember the stories of things that have happened to you and to others. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, the famous proverb says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit, a fool is a fool who repeats his folly. You ever seen a dog throw up? And come back like two minutes later and eat it? That's disgusting. Right? The Proverbs is telling us is, is we're like that same, we're the same thing whenever like we do something stupid, it blows up in our face, and then we just come right back to it like it's going to be different this time. Right? We do that same thing, which is why we need people to call us out on sin, and is why we need to learn from our sin. We need to learn from other people's sins so we don't have to do it. We also need to be willing to sacrifice. This passage really stuck, this verse really stuck out to me, verse 19. So they come to him, they let him know, like, look, why are you doing this? And he says, but now, if the land of your possession is unclean, like, are you doing this because there's false gods over here? Are you doing this because of your neighbors? Are you doing this because of your friends? Are you doing this because of the community that you live in? Has the community that you live in influenced you to false worship? If so, now this is this is big. Don't miss this. Pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. You, do you catch what they're saying there? We'll give you some of our land. Look, if, if it's because you're on the east side of the river that you're sinning, that you're in this idolatrous worship, if it's because of like whatever's going on in your, in your life right now, I will personally sacrifice to fix that. See, it, they can't just say, come take possession of the land without each of them giving up some. It'll cost them land to do that. It'll cost them their inheritance Or maybe they've already started to build houses. Maybe they've already started to farm the land. Maybe they've already started to cultivate some areas. And they're saying, look... If it's because you're on the east side, then come on back over to the west side and we'll give you some of our land. When when we confront people in sin, we're not there to beat them up. We need to be willing to say, hey, I'll I'll, I'll take a sacrifice to help you. I'll sacrifice my time and I'll meet with you on a weekly basis to hold you accountable. I'll sacrifice my resources, and I'll, I'll buy you lunch, and, and let's talk through it. I, I'll sacrifice whatever. Whatever it is that you need to be willing to sacrifice, this is not for you to just go and tell people what they've done wrong, but to say, let me carry that burden with you. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, when we bear one another's burdens, when we, catch, when we find someone who's caught in transgression, and we bear that burden with them, in Galatians 6, it says, we fulfill the law of Christ. This this is the life that God's given us to live as the body of Christ. That's what better together is about. Better together is about saying, brother, I see that you're caught. Let me help you, knowing it'll cost me. Let me walk this with you. Also, you need to consider the consequences. He brings up not only the story of Peor, but he brings up this to understand that our sin doesn't just end with us. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon the congregation of Israel, and he did not perish alone for his iniquity. He's letting them, he's letting them know. Listen, if you're worshiping in a false way over here, it's not just going to impact you. You've got to consider the consequences. Do you not remember? Achan, Achan did something really stupid, and he's not the only one that died that day. 30-something people died because of Achan's mistake. Because of Aiken's sin, it fell upon everybody. So here's what I want to tell you. I don't know what sins you walk in. I don't know what sins you struggle with. But maybe you try to justify them by saying, well, I'm not hurting anybody else. You are. You may not see it. You may not know why your sin impacts people around you, but it does. I promise you. God, God designed us to be corporate. God designed us to be a family. And so he doesn't let anything happen alone. As a matter of fact, the good that happens to us doesn't happen alone. The bad that happens to us doesn't happen alone. Go to all the passages about the body of Christ and see what it says. When one of us suffers, all of us suffer. If you are walking in unrepentant sin, there are likely consequences upon this whole congregation because of it. I'm not telling you that to beat you up. I'm telling you that because this is why we talk about better together. It's not just a catchphrase, it's not just an idea about let's all be one big family and kumbaya. It's hey, listen, this is why we talk about being openly broken. We we can't come alongside you. We can't help you if we don't know what's going on. This is why confession of sin out loud is so important. This is why accountability is so important. Doing life with people is so important. Consider the consequences. They're far beyond what just happens to you. Lastly, (laughs) be willing to listen. This probably should have been the first principle. Phineas has this whole speech. And there's some good stuff in it, if they were doing false worship. But you probably just should have asked, hey, what are you doing? I I recommend you can can get a lot further with good questions than you can with good ideas. Sit with somebody. Ask them questions. Ask what's going on. I want to tell you something Audrey and I always say through... 15 years of pastoral counseling, something we've learned is we always say the thing is not the thing. Not, 99 times out of 100 when somebody comes to us and there's some issue, like it's not the real issue. They don't even know it's not the real issue. But if you'll start asking some really good questions, that's a result of this other thing going on in their life. That's a result of, of something else. It's just a symptom of what's really happening. And I would would tell you that probably sin in your life is a symptom of something else going on. And so this is why it doesn't do any good to just go to somebody and say, here's where you're sinning, you need to stop. You need to go ask questions. You need to figure out what's going on. You need to be willing to to sacrifice on your own part. You need to be willing to walk this with them. I'm not gonna read the whole passage. Their explanation, I, I love how repetitive their explanation is. You ever gotten busted and you just keep repeating yourself? You ever get a fight and you just keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over again? This is kind of what happens. They respond and they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, And even, I mean, I will point out when it says in verse 22, mighty one, the God, mighty one, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. Actually, is three times and it uses different names of God in Hebrew. It's it's a formula in, in Hebrew culture to make an oath. Like, they're basically saying, like, if I'm lying, let God kill me. No, 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 this is about the one true God. And so they, they, they explain, they've made this altar because they're, they're nervous about the division that this river creates. They're nervous that eventually their kids or their kids' kids, it's, the people on the west side are going to get this kind of uppity, bougie mentality and be like, well, you're not on the right side of everything. West side is the best side. You don't even love God. And it's going to create this weird division. So they thought, we'll we'll build this altar. Not not to put sacrifices on, but just to like remind everybody, hey, we're with you. We're a part of you. So here's here's what I would ask you to give me the freedom to give you a conjecture. The Bible doesn't tell us this. This is my conjecture. I think it's probably, just like being willing to live on the east side of the river, it's a compromise. Here's what I mean. There's something to me dangerous about a bloodless altar. There's a temptation today to have Christianity without the weight of sin and without the weight of God's wrath, without the reality of hell, because it feels better. And here's what I'd say. There are a lot of churches that, that preach the Bible. They don't preach things that are wrong, but, but they're just missing a part of the whole thing. I, I've said it before. I, I really don't like the phrase. I've heard people say, you know, here's the gospel. God, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. But that's not the gospel, that's, I mean, it's true, but maybe God's plan for your life is for you to go to hell. I don't know. Like we've got to talk about, we've got to talk about the reality that that God's wrath is a real thing. That hell is a real thing. And those things are real things because your sin is a real thing. and, And it puts you in conflict between you and the creator of the universe in a way that you can't resolve it. In a way, there's no resolution you can bring to the table. There's no explaining away your treason, your treachery against the God of the universe. And I'm a little nervous about this idea of a bloodless altar. You know, it's it's one compromise. We're just going to live on the east side. We don't want to go all the way into the land that God's given us in provision. And we're going to create this altar. I mean, it's just like your altar, except for we don't make sacrifices on it. Going back to the idea of closed-fist issues. We can't pursue unity at the sacrifice of holiness. I don't think it's a coincidence that as this story of the people of Israel continues, these two-and-a-half tribes are some of the first ones to fall away. They've put a distance and a barrier between them And what God's given them. I don't know what God's called you to. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe God's convicting you of sin that you need to repent of. Maybe God's called you to serve in some area. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. Maybe God, I don't know. I don't know what it is, what what God has provided for you, but here's what I'd tell you is instead of trying to wait for something that's better, instead of trying to customize what God has given you to your preferences so that it fits what you want out of your fears, I would just encourage you to submit yourself to him and understand, yeah, he does have a plan for your life and it's not always gonna line up with your plan. And a part of that plan is getting as close to him as you possibly can. And your fear ought to be running away from him. The greatest conflict in your life is not in your marriage. It's not in your friendships. It's between you and the creator of the universe. And it's only settled on one altar. The cross. Where Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, laid himself down. Listen, he initiated reconciliation with you even though he didn't do anything wrong. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, to resolve the conflict that we created. And he's asked us to live that out by by resolving conflict with others, by calling out sin with others. In Romans chapter 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, meaning sometimes it's not gonna be possible, which whatever depends on you, you do your part, be at peace with all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Jesus said, you know how people will know that you're mine? How you love each other. That's why we need unity. We need unity to be a witness. Look at the very end. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called their altar witness. For they said, It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. When we will deal with our sin and deal with our conflict in a biblical way and love each other well by carrying each other's burdens and walking with each other, we get to be a witness to the world of the altar covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, God, Come before you, knowing that uh, knowing that we are in need of you, knowing that in our own power we can't resolve even most likely our own interpersonal conflict. We must submit ourselves to you. Look first to the interest of others. Be a witness to you and how we love each other. Lord, I pray that today there are those that don't know what it's like to be adopted into your family, to be loved by you, to be washed by your blood. Lord, that you would awaken their hearts this morning and bring them to you. Lord, that we could be a part of that, that you allow us to be a part of seeing them come to salvation. Lord, if there's unrepentant sin, let us consider the consequences and let us be bold enough to speak it out loud. Lord, if there's sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters that we know about, Lord, let us be bold enough to confront it. Lord, I confess that I fall short so often of who you've called me to be. But I find my rest in the fact that I am washed by your blood. I am saved by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.